It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the NBA guru. We got Jay Smoove in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well at Smoove underscore 702. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Smoove, been, it's been a few days since I talked to you, my man. I'm glad I finally got to uh, go ahead and catch up with you. NBA All-Star break, couple days off there. So a little bit of downtime, a couple days to kind of relax, recuperate, get our heads right. But now we got the second half of the NBA season, and I'm excited. I'm sure that you are. We're going to end up with our big push here with March Madison College Basketball. Going to be approaching the NBA playoffs here uh, within, you know, another month or two. So we got to go ahead and get back down to uh, brass tacks, start getting our work done here. We're going to talk some games here on Thursday, and we have lines for only three games, and right now it looks like there's about, I don't know, maybe about seven or eight games that don't have lines. Why don't we go ahead and start out with the game that has a line here. You told me about this T-Wolves-Pelicans game. You like the over in that one. Uh, High total, though, Smooth. It's up to like 240 right now. Uh, These totals are just getting insane. I feel like we're watching, uh, you know, kind of like all-star totals from back in the day, but you like this Wolves and Pelicans game over the total. Uh, I do see some 239s out there smooth as well. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody why you're thinking about taking the over on that one. Yeah, Sleepy, uh, glad NBA is back. You know, even though there's have been having a little bit of success on some, some March, some conference tournament stuff for college basketball. But, yeah, like you said, this total, it seems a little high, you know, creeping up to 240, but it doesn't really scare me too much when the Pelicans are involved because before the break, they was on a crazy run of a lot of their games going over the total. And, you know, overall for the season, they're the best team to bet, you know, their totals going over, especially at home. Their games are going over over 80% of the time. And, you know, that's because their defense is bad. They like to play at a quick pace, a young team. And, you know, Zion Williamson averaging over 25 points a game, shooting nearly 60%, you know, from the field. And they also have another a great secondary scorer in Brandon Ingram who can score the ball. But then you also got to look at the T-Wolves. They're also a team with, in a situation on the road where their overs are hitting over 50% of the time. And you got to think, you know, the first half of the season, they played a large chunk of that without their best player, Carl Anthony Towns. You know, he's just been having a really bad, a really rough uh, year, you know, being out with injury, losing family members to COVID. But you know, before the break, he was able to, you know, play a few stretches of games and he's expected to be out there playing in this one. And, you know, they like to get up and down the floor, too. They rank top five in pace and they can also score the ball as well. So, you know, I don't like betting. I don't bet totals that much as I bet size. But when I see a good spot like this one, where it's a good combination of bad defenses, elite scoring, and, you know, teams that like to get up and down, you know, I like I like playing the over. And, you know, it's like you said, it's set at 240. But, you know, I would play this up to, you know, 244, maybe 245 and a half. And just some, some quick history information on these two teams. You know, the overs went 10 and 1 in the last 11 meetings when these two teams played in New Orleans. And the overs also 13 and 6 over the last 19 matchups overall. So, I like this over, you know, at 240, up to maybe 244, 245 and a half. 
you know, I think one of the things we have to take into consideration, at least with this T-Wolves team, is their, you know, their record right now. Um, it's not good, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. And they're probably going to end up finishing as one of the, the worst teams in the league. And they're just not playing any defense right now. I mean, if you go through and you look at their last seven games, seven or eight games, they gave up 134 points against the Pacers, 139 against the Bucks, 133 against the Bulls. 128 against the Wizards, 135 against the Hornets. I mean, you're giving up 130 points, and you only have to score, you know, maybe 100 points yourself. We know that the, you know, the Pelicans' defense is what? They're giving up 115, 116, 117 points per game on defense. You know, it kind of is telling you, you know, that the over is the way to go. But, you know, with Minnesota, I kind of think, and I know it's early smooth, but I, I really do believe that this team has kind of been tank mode. And if they just go out there and it's like, look, let's just go run up and down the court. And as you mentioned, both teams, you know, with the fast pace, you know, if they just uh, running up and down the court and it's like, yeah, let this team go and score whatever the hell they want. It doesn't matter. And once they realize that, you know, that the once the team actually realizes that they're not in the danger zone against this uh, T-Wolves team, they're probably just going to let off the gas defensively as well. Everybody's going to get their stats. Everybody's going to get their buckets. They're going to run up and down. And more than likely, the Timberwolves are probably going to get blown out, you know, in that particular game. I'm not sure that the books are adjusting enough, to be honest with you, with the Timberwolves right now. I mean, this line sitting at seven and a half, uh, I would actually favor the Pelicans here at home. Let me go through and look at what Minnesota is losing by. I mean, 33 points, uh, 20, 24. I mean, their closest game over the last like seven or eight games was against the Knicks. That was on the road. They lost by four and they put up a pretty good fight. Uh, against the Bulls as well, uh, losing that game by seven. But, I mean, if you go through and you look at what this team's done, they were hanging around for for quite some time. But, I mean, they're just they're getting blown out of all these games. What are they right now? I think they're one out of, like, their last, like, 14 games. So uh, I question their motivation. I question their defense uh, for sure. And I think offensively they can go ahead and put up enough points here uh, against the Pelicans, who simply just, you know, it's – you know, it kind of like they they went back to, you know, the old Pelicans where it was all offense, no defense. But I think that's actually working for, you know, New Orleans right now is, you know, they're more focused on offense. And I think that the defense for that team, you know, will eventually come around. I think they add some pieces. Um, you know, we're going to see more than likely New Orleans, you know, end up being a playoff team sooner rather than later. Uh, I don't know if you got anything else to close up that one, but that's pretty much all I had. Um, like the over with you, I do lean strong here to the Pelicans. I might end up making them a play um, tomorrow. Yeah, I just agree with you when you are mentioning, you know, the T-Wolves probably checked out, you know, the rest of the season. You know, this is the second half coming up. You know, they have one of, if not the worst records in the league. And, you know, they were looking, you know, they had high hopes of pairing Carl Anthony Towns with D'Angelo Russell um, with that combo. But, you know, they've only played a total of maybe five or six games together because, you know, when one's been healthy, the other one's been out. When uh, when the other's been healthy, the other's been out, as that case is right now with D'Angelo Russell out and Carl Anthony Towns in. But, you know, they don't um, – I think you could start looking at a team like them and the Pistons and teams like that at the bottom uh, – just to go in full-on tank mode to where they just go out and score a bunch of points and not really worried about winning games and playing defense. So, yeah, I have to agree with you that they're probably checked out for the rest of this season with 
maybe about their 35 or 36 games left for them to play. All right, well, let's jump over to two teams that I think we'll both agree that they're not checked out yet, and that's the Celtics and the Nets. Nets had a pretty big signing over the All-Star weekend, picking up Blake Griffin. Nets are going to be at home here, minus two and a half. Uh, There are some minus threes out there in favor of the Nets. High total in this one, too smooth, 234.5. There are some 234s out there as well. Uh, I lean to the over in this one. Not necessarily sure uh, where you lean to, but I just don't know how the hell we go ahead and we play the Nets you know, under a total in any game. I mean, they're just it's 240, 250 um, every other night. So I just don't know how the hell we do it. I think the only thing that concerns me, and I guess it would concern me really for any game is with the all-star break, you know, you have teams that are resting. And when you, at least in my mind, when, when teams are rested, I think defense. And I also think that, you know, it could create a little bit of rust, um, you know, that they haven't played an actual full game in, in you know, a little bit uh, over a week. So that's a concern for me. But I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how you feel about the Celtics, but when I watch them play, you know, if they're making buckets early, that team seems to me like they really push the pace. Uh, somebody with J- like Jalen Brown, um, once he starts rolling, he's not going to stop shooting. Same thing with, with Tatum. If he's rolling, he's not going to stop shooting. And I think with Kemba out there, um, that they can push the pace, especially against a Nets team who – you know, we, I mean, they just they simply don't play any defense. And I think, you know, the Nets are going to look to maybe take a look at this game and wonder if, you know, if the Celtics could even keep up with them offensively. I think that that's what the Nets are really trying to do. I don't know. I, I just feel like that that's the way that the Nets are playing right now is they want to know if there's any team in the league right now that can keep up with them offensively because defensively the Nets – I don't know if they can get, you know, a whole hell of a lot better. So maybe they're just going out thinking, you know, that we, we just need to make sure that we could outscore each and every team. Um, it's kind of the way I'm thinking about that. But I, I, I think the over has a really good shot. What do you think about that game? Yeah, I agree with you again right here, Sleepy. Uh, 234 and a half is what I'm seeing right now. Um, may seem like a lot, but for this Nets team, any game that they've been involved when they've had at least two of their big three players, you know, they've easily scored 120 plus points and even crept up to, you know, the 130 range. And, you know, they've, you know, like you, like you said, I agree with you again, they just don't play defense. And when you look at, you know, their, their coaching staff with Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, not really, you know, defensive oriented or defensive minded, you know, players or head coaches, and it's trickling down to the team. So they just stacked up a lot of talent and, they just look like they're going to outscore you all night um, or most games, you know, leading into the playoffs. And, you know, you really can't, you know, um, poke too many holes in, in, on, in them offensively. Um, you know, them with them adding Blake Griffin, you know, over, you know, the all-star break, um, I don't think that that's an, that's an addition that helps them improve defensively because as much as I like break Blake Griffin and the things that he brings to, to the game and, into this team possibly um, defense isn't really much of that. So maybe they're just looking at being, you know, as, as complete, as complete offensively as they can be. And, you know, they played the Celtics team a couple, a couple of times earlier in the year, but that was 
before the James Harden trade and they had, you know, a little bit more depth off the bench and a little bit more um a little bit more defense and they still scored 113 points and 123 points. So in the in the Celtics, they've haven't been that great defensively either with uh with the time that Marcus Smart has missed, seeing that he might be back for this one, but uh, there's not really too much of a uh, of any type of defense that can hold this this Nets offense down. So I can easily see seeing this being a a one twenty one twenty five game and selling over that total. Yeah, I'm hoping you're right on that one because the more I listen to you on that, I'm starting to like that one quite a bit. Uh, we had spoke briefly about the Suns and the Trailblazers, and you kind of you know your ears kind of perked up and your eyes kind of perked up when you noticed the line. Uh, and then we pulled the line off a of Fanduel guys. So, uh, smooth. What was that line? Because you you were you know you were you sound a little excited about the Suns in that one. Yeah, seeing the Suns laying two and, two and a half uh, right now on Fanduel. Now they're going to be on the road here against the Trailblazers. I don't know, man. I think this Trailblazers team right now is just they're just a, a, a sitting duck right now. Um, you know, with no McCollum out there, no Nurkic out there. Um, I just feel like. Like they need to get healthy and they need to get healthy quick or they're going to find themselves, you know, scratching and clawing again for an eight seed. But that Suns team, man, I mean, that's been a team that's been talked about, you know, over the last, I don't know, man, like two weeks by, you know, a lot of the media, a lot of the sharp bettors are all kind of, you know, heading towards, you know, looking at the Suns and this, that, and the other. And, you know, you had spoke weeks ago, you know, we did a podcast about Chris Paul and he talked about, you know, just how important he is. And this was really before, you know, the Suns kind of, you know, showed their showed their true colors of, you know, how good of a team they are right now. And a lot of it, you know, at least in your mind is is due to Chris Paul. But it seems like the media um, is, uh, is now talking about Chris Paul as well, makes the All-Star game, things like that. So um, I don't necessarily have a pick on this game. I don't know why, man, but for some reason, I always find myself trying to back the Trailblazers but I, I, I kind of have to remind myself right now that they're just not a healthy team. Um, this is not the Portland team that we know that can go out there and score a ton of points. I know Lillard's out there trying to do, you know, every damn thing that he can. But, you know, at some point, you know, they might double them up here, double them up there. And before you know it, it's like, ah, eh, man, it's like where, where are they going to get the offense from? So um, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about the Suns and why you like them in this game? Yeah, this when I saw this line when we were talking earlier, it just – was real surprising to me because um, just how well the Suns have been playing before the break, like you mentioned earlier. And back on the, you know, the 22nd, February 22nd, you know, these two teams played and, you know, the, the Suns was laying six and a half and won by 32 in Phoenix. And, you know, I'm not seeing anybody, you know, important on the Suns being listed as questionable or out. So um, with this line being set at two and a half, I would look at I would look towards, you know, playing the Suns, even though there's nothing officially set right now. I'll probably do some more work on this game, you know, for this matchup and, you know, release something on Twitter later on or something like that. But with this um with this Suns team, man, I just think that they're still being undervalued. You know, I know that we did a, a podcast uh episode not too long ago, you know, featuring the Suns and the effect that Chris Paul has been having on his team and then later, you know, not too not too much later after that, you know, RJ put out um put out a a future ticket for them to to win their win their division. And I just think this this team is still being really undervalued there. 
you know, have a top five defense. They have an elite score, great coaching. And, you know, like you mentioned with the Blazers, it's just all damn or nothing right now, especially with CJ and Nurkic being out still. And, you know, it's an elite defense that the Suns can throw at them. You know, they just make it really tough like they did in that first matchup. And, you know, it was a struggle for the Blazers just to get 100 points while the Suns sailed over 130. So, you know, I, I definitely look at, you know, playing the Suns, you know, only laying two and a half or, you know, unofficially right now. You might have me hook, line, and sinker on that one uh, as well. We do have another game here, Smooth, that we do have a line for for tomorrow. Uh, we got the Knicks and the Bucks right now. Bucks going to be minus 11, total 222 and a half. Not sure how you feel about that one. You know, I've been back in the Knicks, you know, over the last, you know, a couple games, and, and I've made money with them. One of the reasons I'm backing them is just I think that they're probably underrated, you know, at least at the sports books, the fact that, you know, last year they were miserable, year before miserable. I guess we could probably go back and, and say miserable for, you know, a good amount of years now, but it seems like the Knicks turned over a new leaf. You know, they got a decent coach in there. Um, you know, the players that have been there, um, it seems like they have, you know, a lot of rhythm on offense, a lot of rhythm on defense, one of the best defensive teams in the league. It just feels like 11 is just maybe a little bit too high, um, you know, with Giannis being in the all-star game. And I think, you know, Randall was there as well, but I think with Giannis being in the all-star game, a lot of things being, you know, circled around him, him getting the MVP, you got to wonder how he comes back and how the how the Bucks, you know, restart themselves, land, you know, that many points. It just it feels like a lot to me against, you know, a team who, you know, they're more than likely the Knicks, you know, they got to come out strong in the second half. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if they upset the Bucks here. Just, I don't know, man. It's just one of those weird games where I have a feeling like the dog could really show up and just pull off that shocker type of effort. It wouldn't surprise me. As far as the totals concerned, I actually started to think about the over in this one as well. But then I'm like, all right, well, I know we have two really good defensive teams, so kind of probably not going to mess with that. But, man, that 11 points looks kind of juicy to me. I don't know what you think. Yeah, another agreement with you, man. Uh, I really like the Knicks, too. Been uh, betting them a few times and watching them play, you know, before the break and especially – once they acquired Derrick Rose to uh, help, you know, not only help with the young guys on the team like Emmanuel Quickly and Alfred and Alfred Payton get used to Thibodeau's system, but uh, Derrick Rose, he still has some game left to play. And you got to think with the, you know, first-time All-Star and Julius Randle. And, you know, one thing that I really like the Knicks uh, having on their side, you know, in the second half of the season is they're going to have a huge motivation factor to, play as well as they can to try to get back in the playoffs because they haven't been there in a while. And when you think about everything that the Knicks has been through, um, you know, having really bad seasons and then going into the offseason trying to sell free agents to come there and help turn their franchise around, well, you know, the best way you can turn your franchise around and, and you know, be attractive to free big-name free agents or even, you know, you know uh, average free agents is to play winning basketball and get in the playoffs. And, you know, this is the closest the Knicks have been to that. So I think that, you know, going up against a matchup with the Bucks, a team that's been, you know, uh, winning a lot of games during the regular season the last couple of years. And, you know, their coach, Mike Budenholzer, had came out and stated, you know, not too long ago that they were trying to do 
some different things, you know, throughout this regular season to prepare him in the playoffs. That's why you've seen him being a little bit up and down lately. Um, I agree with you, man. I think I, I like the 11 points, but I think the Knicks could sneak off a could sneak off an upset in this one coming right out of the all-star break. Yeah. Something just tells me just be careful messing with the bucks tomorrow. Um, I'll probably end up playing the next tomorrow too. As I mentioned, we don't have a whole lot of lines out here. Uh, Mavericks are going to play the thunder tomorrow. Mavericks ended up beating the Spurs. So they will be on a back to back warriors clippers. Uh, we don't really have anything, anything newsier over the last couple of days, except all-star game. Um, what do you think about Durant? I saw he's questionable smooth to come back. I don't know if you if you read up any more than, than what I did. I really haven't read a whole lot, but I did go to DraftKings. I was looking at the fantasy lineups for tomorrow, and they had Durant listed as questionable. Um, you have any idea or any sense of when he might actually return? Um, no, I'm not I'm not quite sure either, but it was a little bit surprising to me because you know, he he's had, you know, some time off you know, before the All-Star break and, you know, going into the break, you know, he had another, you know, week or so off and to still see him listed as questionable um, kind of, you know, raised a, not much of concern, but just a little bit concern for me uh, in terms of him not being, you know, just a full go, you know, for this game, you know, coming out of, coming out of the break. And, you know, maybe that Blake Griffin signing was just a little bit of, a reassurance, you know, just in case he doesn't, you know, come back and re-aggravate something or the injury could be worse than what they're letting on for it to be. But, um, yeah, that that was kind of kind of eye-opening to me to see that he's still not um, still not for sure back in the lineup, you know, with as much time that he had that he's had off. And you got to think that, you know, he's had, you know, not a lot of injuries, but, you know, a few injuries that kept him out or you know, bothered him a little bit. So, you know, they do have the firepower and the offense to to play safe as, you know, with him as long as they as long as they want to. But with somebody like Kevin Durant that, you know, missed a whole year or more, you know, with the de- with the delay last year, um, you would think that somebody like him that loves basketball as much as he does and as well as he was playing before the injury, you would think that he would want to get back there as soon as possible. But to see that he's still not a hundred percent go. Uh, may, might be a little bit concerning moving forward. I'm concerned a little bit, but then I start thinking about big picture and, you know, everything kind of involved. Like KD, he went, you know, he went to the Nets because I have a feeling that that's the, that's the place where he probably might end his career. Um, they're going to give him, you know, every opportunity to go ahead and probably stay there, you know, if he does stay healthy and, you know, end goal, you know, for this year. You know, was to win a title. Now, I would be concerned if if he's out for two more weeks, then I would be like, all right, you know, something might be up um, a lot more than what they were saying. But I think maybe if he misses maybe another game or two, comes back in a game or two, maybe he lets Griffin go out there and kind of, you know, mix in. You know, that's a question I was meaning to ask you. Do you feel like, do you feel like KD is one of those players who? Um, like let's just say really high basketball IQ um, that could probably just jump right into a team and, and just fit right in and feel like I'm, we're just we're just adding more more potency you know to what we already had or do you think like you know maybe there might be 
you know, a period of time where he has to go in there and the whole, and then they got to like kind of figure everything out. Cause if they have to start figuring stuff out, you know, then, then, then I worry. But if, if you tell me you think KD could just step right in, you know, be that guy that knows, you know, all his assignments, just that and the other, uh, maybe even mixing in, you know, with a new player, like, like Blake Griffin. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I meant to ask you that a while back. But, you know, now with me saying that, what do you think about that? Yeah, I hundred percent think that, you know, Kevin Durant doesn't have any problem, you know, adapting to anybody he plays with or any style of uh, basketball. You know, I've watched a lot of KD, you know, going back to his OKC, you know, the years he spent in OKC. I was a big fan of that team with him, Harden and, and Russ, obviously being my favorite player right now. And, you know, just seeing, you know, him be as effective and dominant with those two other guys. And then, you know, him moving on to play in Golden State and um, Golden State really much having their, you know, their system and style of play, you know, pretty much set and established before he got there. And once he got there, it was just a seamless fit. So, and then even him missing a, you know, more than a year of basketball, um, you know, coming into this season and, you know, uh, stepping in and playing with the Nets with a whole different roster, uh, playing with Kyrie for the first time and, you know, really, you know, playing to a level where it looked like he, you know, hadn't missed any time from, from injury. So um, I really don't too much worry about, you know, KD, you know, and who he's playing alongside, you know, as long as he's healthy and out there, you know, he's going to be one of the, you know, two best players in the game, um, you know, doing what he does. Uh, like he said before in the interview, you know, he's Kevin Durant, you know, he's Kevin Durant for a reason. So yeah, as long as he's healthy, um, I don't see, I don't see it being a problem with who he's playing alongside. So you did make a good point with him adding Blake Griffin, you know, he could take a, a couple of games or so, you know, to let Blake get established and get, you know, a feel and a rhythm and, and playing and playing in Brooklyn and he can come back and, you know, anytime he wants and just step in and still be KD. Cause you know, he's that talented and he's that good. Yeah, I felt like a lot of the media was talking about, you know, maybe the, you know, the relationship and how the how how everything would look with, you know, Kyrie and Harden. And I mean, those guys seamlessly have had no issue. It looks like you know on the court going ahead and doing their thing. I think James Harden kind of understands what his role is, and I mean, he doesn't have to be that guy that needs to go out and score a ton of points. But I mean, you can see right now you know, with what he's doing that, you know, he's getting comfortable scoring. He's getting a, a comfortable assist in the basketball. And I think he knows when KD comes back, like, yeah, my scoring is going to go down. But now we kind of like there's a well-oiled machine going on right now. And if KD could step in there and just get back to doing what he does, I mean, I just don't know who the hell is going to stop this team. You know, Kyrie's going to kill you at the rim. Harden's going to kill you at the free throw line, you know, and if he's assisting the basketball and playing well, which, you know, for me, I kind of think of like, you know, all-time great basketball players and, you know, Harden's probably going to go down as, as one of those guys. But, you know, when you give him an opportunity to, to showcase something that, that he hasn't done in a long time, and I think that, that, that he's underrated as a point guard, um, you know, doing, you know, more than likely distributing the basketball, taking that leadership type of role. Like, that's something that he could flourish in. You know, I'm going to – I was thinking in my car the other day. I heard somebody actually – and I'm just curious what you think. I heard somebody was was talking about um, 
that they were worried about James Harden being selfish. Um, and, and I, and I stopped and I thought about it for a second. I'm not sure what you think, but so I'll just ask you, I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, but um, like, do you feel like Harden is or was, let's just, let's use was, do you feel like Harden was a selfish player before he got to the Nets? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure about him being a selfish player before he got to the Nets because when, you know, his time in Houston, when he was the main focal point offensively, um, he even stated this himself, you know, just pretty much um, not anything verbatim, but what he was pretty much saying is, you know, his time in Houston, you know, it caused, it calls for him to go out and try to score 40 a night because he didn't have, um, the collection of offensive talent around him to where defenses couldn't really couldn't really just key in and focus on him, you know, as much as they did. Um, you know, just you know, watching that time, you know, the one year that he spent with uh, with Russ, um, when Harden would bring the ball up to court, as soon as he crossed half court, you know, he's seeing you know a double team right away, and you never really see that, um, you know, from a player even with a player of his of his skill set, you know, see that type of look, you know, every time, you know, they bring the ball up or cross half court, you know, you've never even seen them do that with Steph or, or Dame Lillard or Kyrie or even KD or even LeBron for that point. So um, they just had a different group of personnel um, the year that he played with Russ. Now I do think that um, the, the moves that they made this past off season by signing Christian Wood, uh, bringing in DeMarcus Cousins and, you know, Russ coming off the year that he had where he averaged over 25 points, uh, eight assists and, you know, seven rebounds or something like that and had his most efficient uh, a most efficient shooting uh, field goal percentage from the field. Um, I do think that, you know, Harden could have been a little bit more, you know, open-minded to being more of a, you know, closer role, Um you know, with that roster, especially with uh, the new head coach, Steven Silas, coming in there. And I really thought that he had a, a, a good roster to compete with. And with his, you know, him being around the NBA for as long as he has been, you know, I really thought that that Rockets roster with those moves that they made, um, they could have competed this year for the title, you know, but he saw, you know, a better opportunity for him in Brooklyn. And, you know, I can't say that I'm, you know, I knock his move because he's, He's been nothing but, you know, nothing but brilliant since he's been in Brooklyn. You know, he's been able to score when he needs to score, been able to facilitate when he needs to facilitate. And he's probably been his most efficient, you know, shooting the ball that he's been, you know, at any point in time in his career. So uh, I can't knock his move for being, you know, one of the moves from from Houston to Brooklyn. But I do think that the moves that uh, Houston made this past offseason you know, if he was a little bit more bought in, that they could have been a, a title team, um, you know, to com- to compete with the Lakers. But, you know, you know, these guys, uh, you know, they want to call their own shots and, you know, be in charge of their career. So you can't really knock him too much for it. And, and he is, you know, delivering since he's been in Brooklyn. So um, he's, uh, you know, he's got everybody, you know, tuned in and, you know, waiting to see if this next team could really win it all. So, you know, I definitely, I definitely will be tuning in too. You know, when I when I heard that comment, I kind of stopped and I thought about it for a second. And then I'm like, you know what, man? Like, and I was listening to this guy on the radio. He's a well-known radio guy. And I'm just like, 
this guy don't know what the hell he's talking about. And I'm starting, and I'm starting to think about it. And I'm like, you know what, man? I'm like, when you think about Harden, like the first thing that comes to your mind is this dude wants to go out there and shoot. I'm like, all right, cool. Like I get it. Like that, that's what you think because that's what you saw. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that Harden did that were probably some of the most unselfish acts um, that any basketball player, you know, would actually consider or even going through and actually doing. So I'm thinking, I'm like, when he played with OKC, he came off the bench and he told them, he was like, look, I'll stay on the bench, but I want to go ahead and I want to be paid like a star. He's like, if this is the role you want me to play to go ahead and help this team win, you know, I'll go ahead and I'll do that. And when the time, when the contract, you know, time came, um, they didn't want to pay him. And that's why he really wanted out of there. He was willing to do, you know, what, what they asked him to do. But, you know, when it came down to, you know, dollars and cents, they kind of, you know, reneged on, on that, you know, I guess a verbal, verbal deal. And then when you go to, to Houston, dude, he turned down $50 million. Like who's turning down 50 million. I don't think there's really any basketball player out there that regardless, especially being in Houston, like they don't pay any taxes or any of that crap on, on a lot of that money. Like that dude was going to be free and clear, you know, with like monster paychecks. He, he might've grossed, or, or netted more money than, than any basketball player uh, maybe over like the next five years. Like he would have made that kind of money, like where he just would have ended up with, you know, money in pocket, like, and he, and he turned it down. I'm like, well, well that ain't selfish. And I'm like, and then, then he comes to Brooklyn and it was like, oh, you're, you know, you're doing this just, just to win it. Well, yeah, dude, I want to win a title, but now he, he's not going out there being like, I need to score Like he, he's become, you know, a guy who's looking to distribute the basketball to help that team win. He didn't go to Brooklyn to go ahead and go score 40 points a night. I can tell you that. He went there, you know, to help a team win a title. Um, and and he made it pretty clear, Smoove, that, that his destination that he wanted to go to was New Jersey because I think, one, for his legacy, he's like, I want to get a title under my belt, but stick me with some players that, you know, and I I think a lot of it had to do maybe with ownership, this, that, and the other. And as you had mentioned, the role that that he was kind of stuck into playing, um, it just he he just felt like it, it doesn't matter how much money you want to give me. Like I I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. I kind of just want to be you know different than who I am. And and I felt like a lot of people in the media and even you know fans and this that and the other kind of just painted Harden as this. Um, you know, just, just this three ball shooter that that's just a selfish player. And I started to think about it. Like if he's being selfish, he, he's only being selfish to the fact that he, that he wants to win a title and he has to turn money down for that. And he's turned money down, you know, multiple times and, you know, he, he's willing to change his game and be, you know, a different teammate and, and show you, you know, what, what type of, of skills that he has. So, um, you know, when I heard that, it's not like I was upset, but I was like, I think I was, I felt bad for Harden in a sense that that dude gave up a lot throughout his career, um, went out there, gave his heart and his soul um, out there, you know, each and every night for, you know, for his team, came up short, you know, a lot, unfortunately. And now, you know, he's more than likely, hopefully, um, he ends up in the finals having his chance to win. 
um, you know, a, a couple of big games. So I don't know how you feel about that, but that's just kind of what I, how I felt. I felt bad for Harden, but I felt like um, that he was just, you know, being labeled as a selfish basketball player. And I'm just like, dude, I, I, I just, I don't see that, man. I just don't see it. What do you think? Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I, I don't like too much about what the media does with, with players that are that talented and want to go somewhere else is that, you know, these, these players are super talented and, you know, they make the game, you know, uh, a lot easier for, for their teammates and, and, and other role players that aren't necessarily as talented as them, but they don't really, when they're put in a situation like he was in Houston, they don't really have too many other players on that same level as them that can make the game, you know, easier for them. Like they make the game easier for everybody else. And when you see a player like a James Harden, you know, wanting to go to Brooklyn because there's, you know, a Kyrie Irving and a Kevin Durant, you know, it makes the, it makes, they make the game easier for him and he makes the game easier for them as well. So, and it's a, and it's easy bat and it's easier, a better brand of basketball for them to watch. So, like like you said, you know, seeing like putting thinking that a guy like that is selfish, like you you ran down you know a pretty good timeline of his of his career. You got to think he he started out you know sacrificing coming off the bench as a number three or four pick in the draft, where usually you know number three or four pick in the draft is starting playing most of the minutes, getting all the shots, you know, scoring a bunch of points, but he sacrificed. A part he came into the league sacrificing a big part of his game, you know, for the betterment of the team to win. And you know, when those guys were together, you know, they reached the finals, and they just happened to go up against a, a an experienced, motivated, you know, a big three Miami Heat team. And you know, OKC made a bad decision by you know trading him away. Um, but then you got you know you look like a, at a guy like a Kevin Durant. You know, he was in OKC too, and. Him and Russ did really well, but every night they had to go out and, and score 30 a night for them to be competitive. And just because, you know, they're talented to be able to go out and do that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to do that every night because it's hard to do that, especially when you're trying to win a championship and you're just playing, you know, the best teams and the best coaches that can take away, you know, the thing that you to do that you the thing that you do the best, you know, in that situation. So when you get around other talent, like he is, you know, in Brooklyn or like Kevin Durant was in Golden State or like Kevin Durant is now in, in Brooklyn also, you know, it's, 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 it makes the game easier for them to where they don't feel like they have to go out every night and, and score 30 or 40 to where they can play, you know, a complete game that they feel and maybe it only takes them, you know, scoring 20 or 25, but they can focus in on other areas because they have other players on the team that can, you know, just be just elite just as elite scoring the basketball as they can. So, yeah, I totally disagree with whoever stated that, you know, he's selfish like that because he came into the league sacrificing. And like you said, you know, nobody's really turning down $50 million. But, you know, he wanted to get somewhere where he can win. And, you know, he's still going to get paid. You know, he's still one of the, you know, three to five best players in the league. So those guys are still going to make their money. But he wants to win just like those guys – you know, they want to win. You know, they just don't want to be in the league 10, 15 years and never win a championship. You know, they want to, you know, compete for the finals and, you know, win a couple and play on the biggest stage and, you know, really cement their legacy with some championships. And I think that's something that gets lost with, you know, a lot of the media, a lot of the fans. 
is that, you know, we got to go back to when we were kids. Uh, these players were kids too. And, you know, for these people who are playing at the highest level, you know, as they, you know, go through high school and go through college and, and get into the NBA, you know, they start thinking about, you know, their dream, you know, when they were a little kid was, you know, winning winning an NBA title or, you know, going ahead and, and holding a, a national championship up. Like, you know, this is probably a dream, a lifelong goal that, that Harden has. And I really think like Harden is the X factor, you know, whether they win a title or not. You know, Kyrie's tasted a championship before, Durant's tasted a championship before uh, with other teams. But I think those two, you know, that they're going to feed, you know, Harden on, you know, what it feels like and what it's like to be a champion. And um, it's something that, you know, they could probably talk to him about and explain to him. But um, there's a feeling that that Harden doesn't know about. And I feel like Harden, you know, he wants those guys to, to, to feel, you know, what it feels like to win a championship again and win his own. So I think the three of them actually really mesh well together. But I feel like, you know, out of out of that whole entire New Jersey team, like I feel like Harden might be the guy who's actually the glue, you know, to make that entire that entire machine kind of go, you know, where it needs to go. And I feel like he'll play his hardest because in the playoffs, let's just say they do come up short. I have a feeling like Harden might be the scapegoat player that people start pointing the finger at um, because he has somewhat of that selfish, um, you know, like that narrative circling him, you know, whether it be from the media or fans or whatever. So I just feel like that team, if they can get it going, get it rolling, Harden's going to be the guy that, that really gets them and pushes them up, you know, over the, over the edge. And uh, I think it was a great signing for them, but, uh, we're going a little bit long with that, but I just wanted to clear that up. Wanted to talk a little bit about the Nets, talk a little bit about Harden. But uh, we give you guys some picks for tomorrow, a couple overs. Um, I do like the Knicks tomorrow, getting that many points. I think that's good, smooth. Uh, he likes the Suns there, going ahead and laying, laying the bucket. So we'll go ahead and we'll wrap it up. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. You can get smooth at smooth underscore 702. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web pre.com with that said I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck on your thursday enjoy the games <laughs>